Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 69 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Our main story? Scientists have determined that the virus first showed up in bats in southern China. But just how it jumped from bats to humans isn't yet clear. That uncertainty has allowed conspiracy theories to bubble up, some of them promoted at the highest levels of government. But first, here's what happened today. U.S. President Donald Trump threatened to withdraw altogether from the World Health Organization. If he made good on the threat, it would leave Chinese leader Xi Jinping as leader of the global fight against the pandemic. Trump posted a four-page letter detailing his grievances with the WHO to Twitter late last night. In the letter, he called on the group to demonstrate independence from China. He gave no other details about the reforms he was seeking or what specific changes might unlock funding. Researchers from the Korean Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are finding evidence that even though some patients have tested positive for the coronavirus after recovering, those people aren't capable of transmitting the infection. That's a positive sign for regions looking to open up as more patients recover. It suggests those who have recovered from COVID-19 present no risk of spreading the coronavirus. Finally, the U.S. and Canada will keep their borders shut to non-essential travel for another month. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and President Donald Trump announced the extension of the border closure to June 21st at separate events in Ottawa and Washington. The agreement to restrict travel between the two countries, which has been in place since March 21st, was due to expire this week. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. And now, our main story. The internet has been teeming with theories, some of them pretty wild, about the origin of the coronavirus. Scientists have been saying for more than three months now that the coronavirus most likely originated in a species of bat found in the south of China and managed to somehow jump into people. But alternative explanations have been floated. 
U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has repeatedly blamed China, and specifically a laboratory in Wuhan that was researching dangerous viruses. Bloomberg senior editor Jason Gale talked to a World Health Organization scientist to tease out the most plausible explanation for where the virus came from. How and where the SARS-CoV-2 virus emerged isn't known. Scientists have a rough idea, but pinpointing the exact way the virus came to spread in humans is crucial for preventing it from happening again. Dr. Peter Ben Emberick is a scientist with the WHO in Geneva who has investigated the source of numerous outbreaks, including bird flu and the coronavirus that causes Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome. I asked Peter what proof exists to demonstrate the genesis of the virus that causes COVID-19. We know that it's closely related to a group of other coronaviruses uh, that have their origin in bat populations. So that's why we're talking about this bat link or bat origin. What we know is that uh, in previous similar events, uh, these bat coronaviruses, before they jump to humans, first adapt in uh, another animal species that is more closely related to humans and with whom humans have more regular uh, contacts, which is allowing that uh, uh, time and space that is needed for the virus to adapt to, uh, to humans. So we have some kind of uh, a missing link in that story between the, the original bat origin of the virus and uh, when it started to circulate in humans. Many of the first cases in Wuhan were linked to a massive seafood and fresh produce market in the city. It's like a farmer's market. In Asia, they're called wet markets. This particular market sold a variety of animals, including some wild ones, that shoppers could buy live and have prepared ready for cooking. When SARS or Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome emerged almost 20 years ago, it's thought to have originated in bats and jumped into civets, a small, lean, mostly nocturnal mammal, before crossing the species barrier a second time and infecting humans. Wet markets in southern China were implicated in the emergence of SARS, so it was reasoned the Wuhan market is where SARS-CoV-2 might have begun. Now the evidence suggests that COVID cases occurred before there was a definite link to the market. The market might just have been a place where the virus was amplified and spread readily among storeholders and shoppers, and the people with whom they lived. With the market theory in doubt, alternative explanations have circulated. One is that the coronavirus was created in a Wuhan lab, where it was either deployed as a bioweapon or accidentally escaped into the community. One of the reasons that theory has gained traction is that the Wuhan Institute of Virology has a so-called BSL-4, or Maximum Biocontainment Facility, where it studies some of the planet's most dangerous pathogens, including coronaviruses. The BSL-4 laboratory in, uh, in, in Wuhan is, uh, is uh, well known for its research on, on these viruses, on, on, on bat viruses, coronaviruses originating in bat. They have done, so they are, um, they are famous uh, in a way for that work and for improving our understanding of uh, coronaviruses and the relation with bat and their evolution uh, over time. Peter and I spoke over Zoom on May 7. I wanted him to explain the alleged circumstantial evidence linking the lab 
with the outbreak. What evidence is there that the virus might be synthetic, might be man-made? What evidence exists for that? None, to give you a, a, a clear answer. I haven't seen a single piece of evidence that would indicate a hint uh, towards a, a man-made uh, constructed virus. Peter says scientists who have studied the genetic sequences of the coronavirus in detail all agree that the virus is natural and has not been cooked up in a lab. And the reason for why they are so clear in their conclusions is that if it was a constructed virus, we would recognize or see the bits and pieces that were used to construct this virus. It's a little bit like uh, constructing uh, a car with Lego Lego bricks. You would recognize the different bricks uh, at the end. Another reason is that the protein the virus uses to enter our cells and cause an infection in our lungs is unique. It's different from the one that the SARS virus used back in 2003 and hadn't been previously described. If we talk about science fiction, uh, everything is possible. And uh, uh, if somebody had constructed this virus and had been able to uh, avoid all these counter-arguments I just put forward, that would have been a genius and in, in, in somebody light years ahead of everybody else in, uh, in this field. So again, no strong arguments uh, at all for uh, a man-made version. Scientists are able to look at the mutations that occur each time the virus replicates to gauge the period in which it began circulating in humans. Peter says around October-November is when it started to adapt and infect people. Tracing the virus back to its roots means finding the earliest cases and determining where and how they might have been infected. Right now, there's nothing to determine how the virus got from bats into people and if another mammal acted as an intermediate host and what that animal might have been. But some intriguing signs are emerging from cats. So far, we've studied uh, several animal species to see how susceptible they are to this virus uh, and whether they could be playing a role in the, in the event. And cats and, and felines seem to be a species that is both susceptible to the virus and so they can get sick, but they can also transmit the disease to other, other cats. And then the big question is, can an infected cat also transmit it to, to humans? And could they have been playing a role at the start of this, uh, of this event? That uh, remains to be seen. But it's, it's, a, it's a possibility that is being explored. But it also shows the importance of protecting our pets and protecting animals in the same way that we protect uh, humans when we have a confirmed case of COVID, uh, that that person should be isolated and both family members and colleagues uh, and also pets or uh, animals in, connection, in, uh, in close contact with this person uh, should also be protected. So we avoid uh, creating another reservoir uh, for this virus in different animal populations. The pandemic has identified some gaps in our understanding of the pathogens lurking in nature. That's especially the case at the human-animal interface, where viruses risk crossing the species barrier and spreading among people. Peter says we can fill some of those gaps through better surveillance and traceability of farmed animals. He also says that 
Regardless of whether the wet market in Wuhan was where the first person was infected, we need to improve these kinds of food markets. Around the world, we have a lot of markets where uh, people have uh, a tradition to uh, purchasing uh, live animals that are then slaughtered on the spot or nearby. And these practices, unfortunately, are often done uh, with uh, in poor hygienic conditions and with uh, unnecessary close contact between the public and the uh, the sellers and the animals. Uh, so that's and where uh, animal species are mixed together and kept in cages for a long time. Uh, and all that gives, of course, these viruses uh, much better chances to adapt and to jump and to infect humans than if, if hygiene and safety and traceability and surveillance and so on uh, were in place uh, and, and well enforced. So it's important to keep, to keep these markets, uh, but it's equally important to improve them and and make them safe and uh, hygienic. If the current crisis has taught us anything, it's that as human populations expand and encroach on wildlife habitats, the risk from dangerous animal viruses continues to grow. And in an interconnected world, epidemics that were previously localized can race around the globe with blinding speed. It means everyone, everywhere, has a stake in doing whatever we can to mitigate this threat. That was Jason Gale in Melbourne. And that's our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Jason Gale. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Francesca Levy and Rick Schein. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Down has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.